Dr. Christine Cotiola is back on the podcast, and today we're talking about gaslighting and the role it plays in abusive relationships. I'm Maria McMullen, and this is Genesis, the podcast. Dr. Christine Cotiola is a coercive control advocate, researcher, educator, and professor of social work and a survivor. Dr. Cotiola was recently appointed to the board of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. She has been dedicated to the field of intimate partner violence since the age of 19, beginning her career in social work as a certified domestic violence sexual assault counselor for Safe Haven of Greater Waterbury, where she remains a volunteer. Dr. Cochiola is a tenured professor at a Connecticut community college and an adjunct professor at NYU, teaching in the social work studies program for over 20 years. Her expertise is focused on intimate partner violence, trauma, and child abuse. Dr. Cochiola, welcome back to Genesis, the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me back, Maria. Absolutely. So uh, we're here to talk about gaslighting. And when we talk about gaslighting within domestic violence, uh, we do that a lot on this podcast. But gaslighting really has a larger role. And I'd love if you could give us some context about about gaslighting, maybe a brief history of how it has evolved. Sure, sure. So I think a lot of people think about the film that was made in, I believe, 1938. And it's about um, a, a, a husband who continually turns down the gas lights in the home. And he's doing that in an effort to um, ensure that his wife believes that she is crazy. And he's, he's trying to gain leverage. It's about gaining leverage over her. It's, it's really about that concept of coercive control. How do I gain power over you to ensure that I can manipulate you and you lose your autonomy. So in this case, um, she really did. Um, mm-hmm. The wife did think she was crazy. It's actually based on a play um, that actually occurred earlier in the century. And um, and so in any case, he was able to manipulate her to the point, And the whole purpose was to, of course, gain control, but to actually gain access to her financial resources. And so that's really that that's where it came from. The name came from. It's about changing someone's perspective about their reality. Yeah. And, and I've, I'm familiar with the play and the film. Um, and, it, you know, he, he really was ha- he did have an ulterior motive to trying to make yes. her believe that and doubt herself and believe that she was mentally unfit. Um mm-hmm. And so it can be a really effective uh, way to manipulate someone. And then people took that term, gaslight, mm-hmm. uh, and, and ran with it, right? Sure. And, and it feels like ran with it, but almost it feels like only recently that we are really using the term a lot. And we're seeing it used in so many other um, systems like we, you know, we hear people talk about medical gaslighting. We hear people mm-hmm. talking about all sy- systemic gaslighting that occurs over and over again in our lives in various ways, 
where media gaslighting, right? So yeah, yeah. And and I want to talk to you about those things too. So give us an idea then who is this person that gaslights someone? What is the personality type and, and how can we recognize this? Sure. So I would say, first of all, right, there's a difference between lying and gaslighting. And to be really clear, because sometimes people Mm -hmm. confuse those two. So lying is I do something wrong, I get caught, and then I, of course, have to fess up because you show me proof, Mm -hmm. right? And so once you've shown me proof, whether I want to admit to being a liar or not, there's proof. Gaslighting is I lie, I manipulate, you show me proof, and then I call you crazy for researching the proof or for following up on me to see if I'm telling the truth. So I, I draw the attention away from me towards you. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that um, it's hugely problematic in interpersonal relationships. And the purpose of it is to gain control over you is so there are people who have certain characterological issues we'll call them, Mm. that they have, um, they carry a lot of um, shame due to maybe perhaps childhood trauma. And due to that, they can't truly be held accountable for doing something wrong. And they also only feel fulfilled when they have power over others. So I, as as a person who has, let's just say I have this pathology, the only way that I can feel on solid footing and not feel shame is if I'm able to retain control over you. And so I will do that in a variety of ways, including gaslighting, simply because if I don't do that, I that means I have to face my own, my own, um, I guess, shame, my own ego. We call it ego compromise. I am ego compromised significantly. Mm-hmm. And the only way I can feel good is by having that power and control over you. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, you know, that this is one type of abuse, but does it occur, you know, kind of on its own or, or does it occur commonly, more commonly occur in conjunction with other types of abuse? Well, I would say that I think it's pretty it's pretty fair to assume that if again we use that blanket term of coercive control that this is a form this is a psychological tactic to harm someone. Mm-hmm. So are there other psychological tactics to harm people? Sure, there's intimidation, there's isolation, there's manipulation. Um, there's a variety of ways to harm people but that certainly someone's not going to just gaslight someone to your point, it doesn't happen in a silo. It doesn't happen in a siloed way. There's, it always is happening, happening in conjunction with other ways to harm someone to impact their psychological well-being so that they, it's, they get, they're off balance. So it's not that they're mentally unstable, like our wife and the movie Gaslight. It's not that she thought she was mentally unstable. It's not that you're mentally unstable, but the person is trying to keep you off of stable footing. They are. That's an intentional, it's intentional. It's an intentional harm to another human being. 
So we have this uh, somewhat of a characteristic profile of who might commit uh, gaslighting within an abusive relationship. So what do they look for in in their victims? I mean, are they looking for typical characteristics or personalities to inflict this type of harm upon? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. I think it's, it's such a touchy area. I think it's so important to say that victims are never to blame, right? Yeah, no, it, it's right. not. I don't ask it in any way to kind of blame. No, but my response... For- yeah. My, my response might sound like that, though, and that's why I pre- preemptively state that, is that what we know is that there are definitely certain people, in particular, um, it's it's much more of a, um, it feels like it's oftentimes a female characteristic, accommodating, caretaking, um, you know, people pleasing, how do I ensure that we keep equal equilibrium in a household, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I am more of a let's say I'll use this to simplify it a little bit. If I am more of a giver in relationships versus a taker in relationships, I am the perfect person for someone to abuse because I am not the person who's going to have a really clear, strong, hard boundary line because I actually enjoy in life giving. Mm-hmm. And so does that set some people up again, never their fault, but does it set some people up to be, um, I call it perfect prey for the abuser, for people who want to abuse others. So think about even in the workplace, right? You might have a boss who maybe with certain people knows he can't ask them to work Saturday morning from nine to 11, but boy, oh boy, he knows he can ask you mm-hmm. because you're the kind of person who won't say no very readily, who doesn't have a clear boundary. And is that your fault? No, it's a skill set we all need to learn, but is that your fault? No, it's someone taking advantage of you. Right. So, so maybe um, seeking out certain vulnerabilities or perceived vulnerabilities in another person in order to exploit them, which is common across um, people who commit crimes against other people, uh, you know, looking for people who would be easy to exploit their vulnerabilities. I mean, we see that in human trafficking. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think it's interesting because um, Dr. Evan Stark was on my committee and I did do a research study on subjugation. And, you know, he said a lot of good it'll do to figure out the characteristics of a victim when he has the heel of his boot on her throat. Mm. And he's yeah. right. I don't, I don't deny that he is 110% right. But how do we educate people to ensure that they are safer? We have to figure out, in my opinion, what are the characteristics that make someone like maybe you be more easily gaslit versus someone like your sister or your aunt, right? Like, or, or your brother. I mean, this can happen, of course, across genders. Um, so the idea that it's really important to, I think, educate us all and arm us about boundaries because mm-hmm. gaslighting crosses every single boundary. And when we're in an intimate relationship with someone, when we are super connected, or if we're in a, in a job and this person is paying us and we're hoping for a promotion, like there's a lot of, right, it does create that sense of vulnerability. You don't want this relationship to end. You don't want to believe, by the way, most often, 
that this person is gaslighting you, right? Right. Who wants to believe the person they love, who's the parent of the, you know, the father or the mother of their three children, that this person would purposefully be attempting to get them on unstable footing. And it's stripping them, by the way. That's what we know. It's it's a stripping away of a person's autonomy, a, a person's ability to know who they are separate from the relationship. Like if you pulled yourself out of a relationship where you know you're being gaslit, you feel like it. But if you pull yourself out and you look at it and maybe replace yourself with your sister or your mother or someone you love, if that person you love was being treated in the same way, would you clearly see it as gaslighting? Yeah, that's a good question for, you know, reflection and examination of a relationship. Um, So what are some examples of gaslighting, uh, especially within domestic violence or domestic abuse? Yeah, I think one of the most prevalent ones that people often hear is you're too sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, um, so when um, victims and survivors respond in a certain way, They are often told, and by the way, not just by the ex or the intimate partner, but also by the court system, by the police, you're too sensitive. You're making too much out of this. It's not that big of a deal. They diminish. So it's a diminishment of what someone knows to be real. You know, almost like um, when we hear about, you know, moms maybe or dads having to send a child to an abusive home, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, he won't abuse your children, even if he abused you. So to diminish, that's gaslighting. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, uh, I think like an example would be, um, you know, you're, you're on your ex's, you're on your partner's phone because you think he might be cheating on you. And then you bring it to his attention. And this is when he says, why are you stalking me? Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, I was cheating. Or yes, I did lie about that. It's why are you stalking me? So again, we hear over and over again that let's create some self-doubt in this other person. How do I create self-doubt in the other person so that they they don't feel the level of comfort to be able to ask me questions that maybe they would ask? And so we see this, especially like when we see long-term relationships where people have been so conditioned, so conditioned not to ask how the night out was with friends or why they came home late or, um, you know, why that bill wasn't paid, right? If I ask those questions, I'm going to be made to feel like I'm crazy, that I'm overreacting, that I'm too Mm -hmm. sensitive, that I'm, oh, this is a very big one. I hear this often from from um, clients I work with is, why are you trying to control me? (laughs) When actually it's the abuser attempting to control the other person by gaslighting them. So when a a question comes up about something that, for example, like I noticed that the, the deposit for this past paycheck wasn't as large as we expected. Now you didn't deposit. I mean, it could even like, this is the trepidation that begins to happen, right? The conditioning that begins to happen is I'm going to walk on eggshells. There's money missing from our account. How am I going to navigate that? I know I'll just be really, really, I'll be smaller in the home, mm, yeah. I'll be much smaller. And I will say, you know, I noticed there's money missing from the account. Do you know where it is? 
And then the blast comes. Who are you checking up on me? Why are you so controlling? You want to take care of all the money. You never let me take care of the money. When actually it was a really legitimate question. And probably, as we know with all aspects of this, it's a pattern of behavior. Um, Maya Angelou says it very well, right? When someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a great uh, a great way to kind of summarize that a little bit. And anytime uh, you talk a lot about self, self-doubt, creating self-doubt, anytime that you see that and you see it over and over again, where you have to continually question your own motivation for asking a question, like even as something as simple as about what's in a joint bank account. Um, and if that continues over time, as you suggest, it's a pattern of behavior. I can only imagine that, you know, the, the person who's being victimized through gaslighting and this manipulation would just begin to, you know, diminish even further to get even smaller, to ask fewer questions and start, uh, much like the movie, start to really question their own grip on reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is all coercive control, right? It's all this coercion in an attempt to control someone. It makes me think about, um, like oftentimes it's the abuser is pushing you back, always trying to push the boundaries, always trying to push them so that yes, he diminishes your space in the family system. And, and so then what often happens is again, you know how there's that intermittent reinforcement. There might be like a like we know with that movie, right? If anybody it's on Netflix, guys, you know, you can watch it. Yeah. <laughs> because it in the movie, you see there's intermittent reinforcement. There is some positive, you know, affirmations. He's being a caretaker to her, even though she's feeling extremely incapacitated because she can't believe what's going on in her brain, she thinks, when it's actually mm-hmm. him. And so there is this ability to be really very much a charlatan that, you know, and so we dissonate, we have cognitive dissonance, right, from the bad mm-hmm. moments. And that's what they're hoping for is that we're going to have this this ability to not recall to the same degree the bad moments or any of the doubt, the gaslighting, because there's a little bit of good in there. It makes me think about the example of like, you know, have I'm sure maybe, maybe, maybe your listeners, some of them have experienced this where, you know, you go to a party and you're with the partner and they're like everybody loves this person, right. you know, um, or this, this guy is the greatest dad, always engaged with the kids, always like gives the baths. It's just so engaged and wonderful with the kids. And so the perception from everyone else in your life is that this person is not at all harmful for sure. So then you have harm done to you. You have a red flag, but then you have this whole world of people who are engaged in the narrative of the abuser. He's a good dad. He's so funny. Everybody loves him at parties, all this, but, but the moment you get in the car after the party, going back to the pathology, these people can't hold it together that long. So that's when they let go. And that's when the victim sees who they really are, but they did just have a great time at the party. They saw the person they thought they loved. They saw that. So there is this, I would say, two steps forward, three steps back all the time. 
Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can hear it and it almost sounds like they're gaslighting everyone, right? Yeah. Not, not okay. just the yeah. intended victim who might be the partner, they're gaslighting everyone they encounter by having people believe this persona when they get home or they're in private uh, with certain individuals and then they just act like, you know, you know it's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde uh, scenario. Agreed. I think that that's a real, that's very well put. I think that, uh, you know, some people, you know, they have a world of people who think that they are this person. Mm-hmm. And it's really only the victim who is often seeing the other person. Right. And right. so there's such a, it's, it's such a dramatic, think about it. It's like a play. It's so dramatic what's going on. And how do you reconcile those in your brain when your brain is already compromised because you have anxiety, you're walking on eggshells, you are doubting yourself, you're maybe sad. Like, you know, you're feeling really down because you are diminished and maybe you're not pointing the finger at him, but those are all of the feelings that are going on. You might be in therapy saying, I have so much anxiety. I'm so unhappy. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And unless the therapist is saying, tell me about your relationship with your partner. Tell me what happens when you guys argue. Tell me how you're treated. Then the therapist may be missing that there's abuse going on. And so Really, all of the things that are perfectly lined up, perfectly lined up for an abuser to continue to abuse. He's got your family, your friends. He's got everyone you love engaged in a the gaslighting, right? Mm-hmm. Without right. you even knowing it and without them knowing it. They're all gaslit. Yeah. I'm tensing up just listening to this. <laughs> it is stressful. Very, very tense. Uh very tense subject. And, and you, you've been touching on this a little bit along the way. Are there any other consequences to a victim of gaslighting? I mean, we, you gave us some examples, but um, what are some of the, the more long-term consequences to someone who is experiencing gaslighting, you know, possibly throughout the course of a relationship that could span decades? Right. So, of course, trust issues, right? I mean, mm-hmm. significant trust issues. Self-worth is diminished because you've lost who you are, right? I think that it's important to point out that, you know, if, again, cast light is not happening as a siloed issue. So all of the other dynamics that are create that create in a toxic environment lead to complex post-traumatic stress, for sure. And I think something we haven't touched on that is so important is that let's for a moment unpack if we can the fact that some of those people that are in that circle being gaslit are the children and the children are not just being gaslit by the abuser by the way Mm -hmm. when the protective parent is attempting to keep equilibrium in the home every single day attempting to keep the family intact, maybe trying to believe that they're they're going to survive this, that's not as toxic as she might think it is. Mm -hmm. You know, to some degree, she's gaslighting her own children because she continues to placate the abuser. They learn to placate the abuser. And also when 
the, uh, let's just say the crap hits the fan and she decides to leave. This is often when these abusers, these people with significant characterological issues, probably the most harmful, the most harmful people on the planet earth. When that, when she leaves, there's post-separation abuse that ensues, right? But if your children have never seen the abuser for who he really is, then how, why would they believe you that it's as bad as it is? That's, that's a pretty, um, that's a heavy load, I think. Yeah, that's really uh, twisted. Uh, to, to put it really plainly, you know, that the manipulation has gone as far as that to convince the children otherwise. Um, there are people who have had experiences like this, you know, that have spanned almost lifetimes of being manipulated by someone through gaslighting and other tactics. And, and it can take a lifetime, you know, to heal from that kind of abuse and manipulation. And when you get to that point, what are the options for healing from those types of experiences? Yeah. So what we know works, I mean, we've seen it work is, you know, it's trauma-focused therapy, you know, TFCBT, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy works. I think, you know, you can't heal from the trauma when you're living in it. Mm. And that's easier said than done because sometimes staying in these abusive relationships feels like the safest thing we actually know. Women are most at risk the moment they leave. So again, it's easier said than done, but I think it's, um, I think if for your listeners who might say, oh my gosh, this might be me and yeah. they're living in the relationship, I think it's so important that they find a trauma-informed therapist who understands domestic abuse, coercive control. Because um, what I have found too in the field is that a lot of people understand domestic abuse, but they don't understand that it doesn't have to be physical. So really understanding that these mind games, and that's what it is. These are mind games and these people who are playing mind games when, when someone we call it betrayal trauma. So when someone we care about very much is betraying us over and over and over again, that that is so significantly harmful to our psyche, to our, and so going back to the children, if it's harmful for, ourselves as adults, imagine how harmful it is. You know, we, we talk about children who are gaslit into believing maybe that mom is bad, dad is good. And the reality is, is that dad is bad. Mom is good and helpful. Mom is the protective parent, but that how can we help a child to actually acknowledge that they're being gaslit when it's such a huge betrayal to acknowledge that, right? The brain, the brain wants us to be safe. The brain doesn't want to believe that horrific reality. Mm -hmm. And so I'll take it a step further. Not only do these abusers gaslight the intimate partner and everyone around, because everybody at work thinks they're wonderful and everybody loves them, right? Right. They not only gaslight their children, the adult victim uh, by by simply attempting to retain equilibrium in the home, it's it's obviously just a safety response. She may gaslight the children and she gaslights herself 
but the children also gaslight themselves. Like they don't want to believe that they have a horrible parent, that a parent could be doing these horrible things. And so, um, as you can see, it's quite, it's quite layered. It, it is layered. It's, it's very complex. And so you mentioned CBT as a therapy option. TFCBT. So TFCBT. Yeah, trauma-focused CBT, yes. Yeah, and that's really the primary one that we know works really okay. good. Of course, biofeedback mm-hmm. works well. EMDR we know works well. Um, narrative therapy is really amazing with children. I've done it with um, youth who have been in these compromised situations. Um and certainly for adults, and it's about like creating, like uh, your creating your own narrative to what really happened, mm-hmm. versus um, you lived a different narrative. And so, how do you? Um, so you 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 do write you write um, an alternative narrative, and the narrative that you write is the narrative that is factual, versus the I- one that you've been fed for so long. Right. That sounds extremely powerful and empowering to me, that that type of therapy. Um, You mentioned this in the beginning of our conversation, and I want to go back and and touch on it again, because you mentioned medical gaslighting. So to me, that implies that gaslighting is not limited to the intimate partner or romantic relationship. Um, What other types of relationships do we we experience gaslighting? Yeah, I mean, I think... um... Well, I guess that I would say that it can be any relationships. Uh, I feel like this is an example. So um, I had a client who went to court and the abuser, when he came to court, um, had gone to therapy. And because he had gone to individual therapy, which of course his attorney recommended that he do, mm-hmm. because of that, the advocate was telling my client that he that maybe she didn't want him to go to the battered um, intervention program. Now, to me, that advocate was gaslighting my client. Mm -hmm. So I feel like gaslighting is like, it's everywhere. Like, so she was trying to saying to my client that, oh, he's in individual therapy. That's, that's good. So that's enough. And anybody who knows the characterological issues of these individuals, therapy is, is only a checkbox for them. It's, and it may even, by the way, be used to manipulate. So, I mean, I'm sure people, listeners can recall times they were in with a therapist in couples therapy, trying to make the relationship better. And they were getting gaslit. I, I experienced this gaslit by a therapist and I'm a therapist. Mm -hmm. So the therapist, um, attempting to create, um, perhaps a, a space for the relationship to improve was was diminishing the fact that there was one person who wasn't had power over who had power over the other person rather than calling that out right so it can happen anywhere it can happen in in, with doctors it can happen with lawyers it can happen in the family court it happens in cps how often does cps say that's okay the child's safe or so there's just really i feel like it's important for us all to be aware that it's happening everywhere. It's a human adaptive skill. That's not healthy. It's a maladaptive, it's a maladaptive skill is what I would say. It's a maladaptive skill. How does one acquire the skill set then to recognize gaslighting when they see it 
and perhaps set the boundaries as, as you had said earlier to ensure that their own safety and their own sanity in those types of situations. Right. So it starts, it does start actually from beginning to understand where your boundary fluid. And if you can pull in those boundaries and create clearer boundaries, it becomes, that's when gaslighting will become more clear to you. Mm -hmm. But if your boundary fluid, gaslighting is not going to be as clear to you. So I would say, honestly, it comes from the idea of being present and listening when people are talking to you versus being in a triggered mode. And, you know, the reality is, is that when we go back to those characteristics of victims as perfect prey, victims tend to be people who fawn a lot when they're triggered, passive, do what you want. And so that's way too boundary fluid, right? Right. So really about creating healthier boundaries for yourself. And it starts with tiny incremental things. Um, It's like something like as simple as when somebody calls you and asks you to do something, instead of saying yes right away, you can simply say, hey, I'm just going to think about it and I'll get back to you, right? And and then you're able, that's you being present in that moment. And then you're able to make the decision that is best for you, knowing, by the way, that someone might be disappointed in you and being okay with that. So the abuser, if you've lived in an intimate relationship like this, the abuser has set you up that you never disappoint the abuser. You are in a constant place of ensuring that he is pleased. And so that is a habit that needs to be broken. That's boundary fluid. That's also a warning flag. Mm. Uh, to me, I mean, it sounds like, you know, a red flag of if I constantly have to feel like if this person is displeased, there are going to be consequences. They don't have to be physical consequences. They can, they can be, as you said, you know, lots and lots of other types of psychological consequences or forms of coercive control. Um, to me, that sounds like a red flag. If I'm constantly trying to make sure that you're okay with the decisions that are made or with every action that I take uh, or that the children take. And maybe that's another way to look at it is, you know, to provide uh, a short list or a resource where we can see like what these red flags are so that we can create the boundaries and the responses that are healthier for us and for the other people in the, in the dynamic. Absolutely. So the question becomes, um, do, are you allowed to have an opinion in your home? Is your opinion diminished, dismissed? Is it mocked? Or are you able to be affirmed in your opinion, even if the other person doesn't agree with you? Mm-hmm. And that's like a very basic starting point, but so important. If you are you know, expressing an opinion about anything and someone's diminishing you, or in some ways dismissing what you have to say or making fun of it. And then if you're responding and they're saying you're too sensitive, that you are, you know, look at the way she's thinking, like they're not only mocking you, but they're also really attempting to um, humiliate you in some Mm -hmm. way. Those are, those are significant red flags. Absolutely. Those are basic, basic human nature is that we respect other people's opinions and we're, uh, we allow for open dialogue, even if we disagree. You and I can disagree, but we can 
certainly have a conversation about it without me putting you down. And, you know, I, I think about, um, you know, clients I've heard like, you know, the conversation would start and it would feel like it was going to be an open dialogue, but then the abuser would be too tired to talk about it. Let's talk about it later, like a budget. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll talk about the budget. Let's talk about it on Saturday. Then Saturday would come and she'd have to be afraid to bring it up again and then cautiously attempt to have that conversation and the abuser would be too busy. So there was, there's this constant again, diminishing of what you think might be important and dismissal of you and what your thoughts are as relevant at all. And it occurs in a pattern as well. Absolutely. So there are these layers, as you said, it is very layered and it it is very complex, but it also, the way that you describe it throughout the course of this conversation, it's fairly obvious what's happening. It is if you're not living in it. That's the issue. Uh, so if you're living in it, it begins to feel normal to you. You the don't normal know relationship. Other, yeah. Yeah. You don't know any other way. And again, we dissonate. We have cognitive dissonance to negative experiences. So we might have something negative at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning, but by 11, we're going for a family bike ride. Well, then that 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. thing is, is out the door. So it's really about, I would say anybody, again, who's questioning this, I, your point about the narrative, saying narrative therapy is very helpful. Keep a journal of mm-hmm. every time something happened and you were questioned. How often did that happen? Because it is a pattern, but do you want the pattern to be three months or three years? Because right. if, it's, if it's been a pattern, it is toxic. It is time to go if you can go. Yeah, and it's bad for everybody uh, in that dynamic. Let's talk about teens for a minute. Um, how might teens experience uh gaslighting in like dating relationships. Uh, yeah, this happens a lot, right? I think um so um you know, well, uh you have a teenager who wants to go to a party but her boyfriend doesn't want her to go or his girlfriend doesn't want him to go. And we see this in a lot of immature relationships. Let me preface this all by saying that young people are still developing and that even if this is happening at a younger age, it doesn't mean that they have characterological issues that are going to be mm-hmm. longstanding. Their brains are still developing. They're learning. They're learning. So, but if, you know, your boyfriend won't let you, you know, says, oh, don't go to that party. I miss you so much. I love you so much. Is, mm-hmm. is he really attempting to shift your reality? He is trying to shift you away from what you wanted to do and making you believe that if you don't, if you go, you're hurting him. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's a form of gaslighting. And how often do we hear that with teens? Right. Or why do you have this person in your phone? Think about like phones, right? Why do you have this? Why are you following this person on social media? An attempt to control an attempt to make you think that if you do that, you're not as loving as you should be, or as loyal as you should be. And, you know, maybe you are being disloyal. And if you are, then it's not a healthy relationship, right? That's, you know, then you leave, you, you go out with the other person if that's what you want to do. But there's, um, you know, we hear this like oftentimes like people will break up and then one person will say, if you, if you leave me, I'll hurt myself. Right. So Mm -hmm. really manipulation for sure. And which is so toxic. And then 
you know, if you loved me, so right. That's the gaslighting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. you loved me, no, actually I do love you, but I want to go out with my friends. Those are two separate things. They're not together. Yeah. Yeah. I could see how I could see your point of, um, really just developing those relationship skills can be challenging and, you know, maybe, uh, they aren't the most healthy ways to, um, to kind of express your affection or interest in someone to say, well, you know, if you loved me, you would stay home with me and not go to that party. Um, so I think that we all could benefit, especially our youngest citizens could benefit from understanding more about what healthy relationships look like and what toxic behaviors look like and how they can impact you. Now, um, I want to talk for a minute about intersectionality and gaslighting, because I I have to wonder if people who are more vulnerable, uh, people who let's say are younger. So we talk about, we talked about children, but um, people with maybe a mental health diagnosis and how does gaslighting impact them? I, I would think the severity of it could be, and the impact of it could be very different. Sure. I mean, I feel like if you're a more, the more vulnerable you are in general, the more you are a target. It's just, it is unfortunately par for the course. It's just what's going to happen. It's almost like when we think about adult victims who are financially dependent upon their abuser, they're just more vulnerable because of the financial dependency, right? So younger children, certainly, and teenagers, whatever age it is, if you are someone who has anxiety and you finally have a boyfriend, right? Mm -hmm. And you're so excited to have a boyfriend, but if he's a person who, again, maybe developmentally just hasn't matured enough, but also maybe characterologically there's concerns, then he might take advantage of that, right? And you, and you bring up a very important point. I, I, you know, you may not know this, but I actually have a program that's going to be running shortly and it's called, where's your line. And it is specific to young um, adolescents and young adults and about understanding the dynamics of unhealthy relationships, because I feel like it's all about educating our young people so that they can kind of, hmm, that looks like gaslighting to me. Oh, wait a minute. It is gaslighting. Wow. That's a red flag you know, is this a pattern? Because if it's a pattern, then that's not a person you want to be with. And I think um, young people in particular tend to be extremely vulnerable. And we live in a social media age where they're learning about gaslighting online, which is great (laughs) on TikTok and wherever else. It's great. But the other piece to that is that they're also being um, flooded with so much other information that is not useful due to social media. I mean, unfortunately, there's no line down the middle. This is useful. This is not useful. This is healthy. Mm -hmm. This is unhealthy. So they're seeing lots of unhealthy things. And uh, it does does set up the, the younger generation in particular for having certain expectations for relationships that are not appropriate. Yeah, for sure. Um, So you said the program is called Where is the Line? Where is your line? Where is your line and where can people find more information about that? Yeah. So I will have it up on my website shortly. I would say um, I'm hoping by November 1st and uh, it will, it's drcociola.com or I know your heart.com. 
which is because moms, I, I'm a protective mom supporter. So I know your heart.com. Mm -hmm. I really look forward to learning more about uh, where is your line and seeing how that can be an effective tool for young people to develop healthy relationship skills. And maybe we can further reduce uh, these different forms of domestic abuse and coercive control for the future generation. That's the hope. Intergenerational trauma, right? We need to stop it with us for sure. That's right. It stops with me and you and yep. and the rest of uh, the people coming up behind us. Dr. Cochiola, I love talking with you. Thank you for talking with me about gaslighting today. Thank you so much, Maria. Thank you for having me on. Attention Spanish-speaking listeners. Listen to the end of this podcast for information on how to reach a Spanish-speaking representative of Genesis. Atención hispanohablantes, escucha este podcast hasta el final para recibir información de cómo comunicarse con el personal de Genesis en español. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship, you can get help or give help at genesisshelter.org or by calling or texting our 24-7 crisis hotline team at 214-946-HELP. 214-946-4357. Bilingual services at Genesis include text, phone call, clinical counseling, legal services, advocacy, and more. Call or text us for more information. Donations to support women and children escaping domestic violence are always needed. Learn more at genesisshelter.org donate. Thanks for joining us. I'm reminding you always that ending domestic violence begins when we believe her. Genesis, el podcast, anuncia servicios bilingües disponibles en Genesis Women's Shelter y Support. Si usted o una conocida está en una relación abusiva, puede recibir ayuda o dar ayuda a genesisshelter.org o por llamar o mandar mensaje de texto a nuestra línea de crisis de 24 horas al 214-946-946. 4357. Servicios bilingües de Génesis incluyen mensajes de texto, llamadas, consejería, servicios legales, asesoría y más. Llámenos o mándenos un texto para más información. Siempre se necesitan donaciones para apoyar a los, las mujeres o a los niños escapando de la violencia doméstica. Aprende más a nuestra página de internet en genesisshelter.org barra inclinada donate. Gracias por unirse con nosotros. Recuerden que el terminar la violencia doméstica empiece cuando creemos a la víctima.